This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Arts original program in partnership with Salt and Light Catholic Radio. Whenever I turn on the news, I am most certainly left with a sense of doom and gloom. The modern day sensationalism seems to rob me of my peace. Where does peace come from? And how do we get it in our lives? Finding peace is really quite simple if you know where to look. Joining me along the way to share some insights to getting to that state of being that is being at peace is the host of Forgotten Treasures, the podcast, is my good friend, Father Gabriel Burke. Father Burke, welcome. Good morning to you from a frosty Ireland. Frosty? What do you mean? How, what's the temperature over there? We're, we're down to zero and we had lovely white fields in front of my house this morning, beautiful white, very Christmassy, even though we're only the beginning of Advent. Wow. <laughs> well, we don't have any snow here in Connecticut yet, thanks be to God. Father, I, I got to let everybody know that you're the host of the podcast, Forgotten Treasures. You've got 21 episodes out now already. As the producer of it, I get to see it live, and, and it's just a wonderful wonderful show, and I hope people will check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes so that people can get out and check that check out that, that wonderful show. How are you this morning? Oh, great. Yeah. I'm just back from our local school having blessed their Advent read. Nice. And uh, ready for Christmas. You know, Father, as long as I've known you, you've always been somebody who has recommended that we love God simply. But I want to talk to you today about peace. Peace is such an important part of, I believe, God's plan in, in our lives that he tells us to not be afraid. And that even during the Mass, he says, my peace I give you. What, first yeah. of all, what is peace in relationship to God? It's that within ourselves that we trust in him i think peace is not the absence of anxiety and things like that i think many people nowadays think that to be anxious there's a difficulty but it's not you have to have a little bit of anxiety um but it's so that it doesn't overcome you that's what peace is we're going to be talking a lot about peace now over the next few weeks, everybody talks about the peace of Christmas. You'll see Christmas cards with peace on it. And a lot of the time, people think maybe peace is the absence of war or things like that. But it's actually the peace within us. And that only comes about because of trust in God. If I don't trust God, if I'm if I, not trusting him, I'm not going to have that peace. But that brings us to another problem, because I can't trust God unless I love him. Mm. What I always say to people is, when you, when you come to dealing with God, think of human relationships. You don't trust strangers. You might trust your postman a little bit more, because you see him every day. But you're certainly not going to trust your postman as much as your best friend. Right. And what's the difference? The difference is, I love my best friend. He knows me. I know him. With the postman, I might know him to say hello every day. I might wave at him. I might give him a little Christmas box. But I don't really know him. And as for the stranger in the street, I keep my eyes down, <laughs> my mouth shut, because I don't know them at all. And that's the key. 
And what I say to people coming into Advent is, if you have not been reading your gospel, start again, because the only way you're going to know who Jesus is, and therefore who the Father is, is by the gospels. And read them for five minutes every day. You're not reading them to learn them off by heart. You're reading them to get to know somebody. So it's a calm little reading. And, you know, with the famous smartphone nowadays, you can have your gospel on it. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, in the old days, I used to bring a little gospel in my hand and I'd mark it with a pencil. Now I don't have to. Now it's on my phone and it where I finish is where it will open the next day. And that's the important thing, getting to know who Jesus is, therefore getting to know who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And knowing them, we love them. And loving him, we trust him. And trusting him will give us the peace that we need. When we try to do things ourselves, that's when we... i give you an, an example. I'm 56 now. 30 years ago, I was diagnosed with um, skin cancer. And it was just 4.5 millimeters. And if it was one half millimeter more, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. And I was 26 and I was getting a bit anxious. And, you know, my mother and father... (laughs) This will be, for Americans, this will sound very weird, but I'm the 10th child born in my home. And there are nine of us alive. And so my mother and father would be quite um, old when I was um, doing all that, when I was going through that. So I didn't want to be worrying them. Mm-hmm. And then I was getting worried myself. But I remember just saying to the Lord, look, this is your problem. And I accept whatever comes my way. And from that moment on, I wasn't anxious. Because I'd handed it to him. And it's up to him. And now, you know, for the past seven years, I've been on dialysis and um, awaiting a transplant. And again, you know that you can say to yourself, there are two ways to deal with this. I can either say to God, you know, I've had enough of this. You know, I'm your faithful follower. And look at the way you treat me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's best to accept, you know, I can't do anything about it. I, why worry about it? And what is it, what, what it has allowed me in the last seven years is to actually grow deeper in my relationship with God. I give you one example. When I left seminary, I wasn't great on scriptures. Because, you know, we had this very old dry method of scripture and our whole thing was to demythologize the scriptures and all that. And so the scriptures to me were just books that you read and they were as dry as the hubs of hell. But during the time, I've had so much time, you see, I do dialysis every night at home. So I took out my scriptures and I took out my commentaries mm-hmm. and a whole new relationship opened up with God through the scriptures. 
and through reading them and looking at the commentaries and looking at the tradition of the church and everything. And so now I absolutely love the scriptures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my office is different now because I've come to understand the Psalms. And that's because God slowed me down. <laughs> okay, yeah. Gave me time to read them and opened up a whole new relationship with him. So you see, it's that relationship. And I think that's the thing we always have to remember for peace. It's that we're in a relationship with God. And just like any human relationship, you have to work at it. I mean, you know that better than me. You're married. <laughs> you know, have children. So you know all that. That that's and that's the where the peace comes to us. Getting to know who Jesus is, and through knowing him, knowing God. And knowing him, we love him. And loving him, we trust him. So you're saying that that Fear and anxiety is not the absence of of peace? No, no. We'll have fear and anxiety. I have fear every time I go onto the pulpit. (laughs) (laughs) But that's part of life. Mm -hmm. We need to have that kind of adrenaline. And I think what I especially notice with our younger people in Ireland, uh, they seem to have a difficulty with anxiety. Yeah, it's the same here in in the United States. You know, and it's yeah, and it seems to be a bad thing, but it's not really, because that's what gives you the adrenaline. That's what helps you to go. You know, every time I go up to preach, you can, you know, you get nervous, you're getting anxious, but you feel that of adrenaline ready to go into you. When I'm dealing with people, you know, I deal with people in all sorts of situations. When you're going down to the house of somebody who's died, you don't know what reaction you're going to get. Yeah. You know, you don't know because, you see, we're dealing with all sorts of people when it comes to, you know, because Catholicism is cultural in Ireland. When you're dealing with a death, you can be dealing with a family that's very good and faithful, or you could be dealing with a family that hasn't stepped inside the church since they made their confirmation at the age of 12, and you don't know the reaction you might get, and you, you don't know how they're going to feel They might take their anger, especially if it's been a sudden death or a young person's death or that, you may get a lot of anger. So you're going to be anxious. But turn that anxious into a prayer to God. Say to God, okay, listen, I'm going in here to do your work. Give me a hand. (laughs) Help me to say the right thing. Yeah. See, I think so many times we get anxious, anxious, and we get... We get focused on the problems rather than turning to God for the solutions. Yes. And the fact is that people nowadays no longer believe. Or if they do believe, they have some sort of a an airy-fairy idea of God. But he's not somebody they're in relationship with. And that's, that's the key to it, that I'm re- in relationship with. And I often give to people who are, you know, maybe having difficulties with God, but tell them to meditate on certain parts of Scripture. Just one little line. I'm made in the image and likeness of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. You, before you knew me, in the Psalms, before you knew me, you knitted me in my mother's womb. 
St. Paul tells us, they're God's work of art. Because people will tell you, yeah, they believe in God and yet yeah, they have a good image of themselves, but they don't really. Because the image of ourselves is based in God. And if we're not based in God, then we don't have a good image of ourselves. So that must be a really important part of, of finding peace is, is understanding yourself. Understanding ourselves, understand where we come from. When, you know, I'm the last generation that was taught the traditional catechism. And there was a question of why did God make you? And I always remember it. And I still remember it today. God made me to know, love and serve him in this life and be happy with him forever in the next. There's it. That's it all wrapped up. To know, love and serve him in this life and be happy with him in the next. And that's the key to it. Because it's a relationship we're in. And if we, if we see our Catholic faith as just rules and regulations, mm -hmm. it's actually going to cause us more anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we end up, you know, people who end up being scrupulous because they're looking at the rules and regulations rather than the Father. And, you know, the, the Pharisees get a bad name in the Gospels. But, like, the Pharisees, they were good people. They tried to best, but they focused on the wrong thing. They mm -hmm. focused on what they could do rather than what God could do for them. And that was where they went astray. They were trying to do everything. That age-old Christian heresy of plagiarism, I can do it myself. And when we do that, then we're going down the wrong road. We've got to leave it in, with God and we've got to turn to him and chat with him and talk with him. But it's God all the time. There's a good story told of John the 23rd when he was Pope. He was asked, how do you sleep at night? Oh, he said, with all the trouble in the church, he said, I get down on my knees every single night and I say to God, it's your church. You look after it. And I jump into bed and fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and to a certain extent, we've got to have that attitude that, you know, he's with us. He knows us. He loves us. He wants us to be with him forever. He will give us a guiding hand through everything we do. We've yep. got to learn to listen mm -hmm. and to love. You know, Father, there's stages of grief, grieving and grief. Are there stages of, I guess what you're saying is just turning it all over to God and dying to yourself, that's peace. Are there stages that people go through to achieve this peace? Yeah, you're not going to get it all at once. Sometimes we get a bit anxious about our relationship with God, which causes more anxiety. But it's, it's, look, Rome is not built in a day. So we're going to have to build up that relationship with God. When I was a younger priest, I'd be running around doing a lot of things, very busy. Because I thought that was by doing things, you know, that was how we were doing it. And so I would start off early in the morning. I'd be up at the church at half seven for mass. I'd be in school, in the state school teaching. I'd be at meetings and doing different things till 10, 11 o'clock at night. The one thing I've learned with being on dialysis is it's not about doing. It's about being. 
and that that relationship with God doesn't happen overnight. Like any relationship, we've got to work at it. There are very few people who turn around and say, I love that person and we're going to marry. And they do it all within a matter of days. Mm. The courtship takes a while. The marriage comes along. And only then you start being true to each other. Because before we're, we're courting, we're a bit like the peacock and everything. We're showing off how great we are. We're trying to attract them. Mm-hmm. And only then when we're married can we truly be open. And they see us as we really are. And then when we were 30, 40 years married, we're a bit like the olive trees that you see all over Europe. They're gnarly little things. Their roots are all crushed in on top of each other. And you can hardly notice one branch from another. That's what marriage is. It's that relationship. So much so that the two now become one. But it's the same with God. But it takes a while to get to that. And all we can do is just gently go with him. We can't force it. Just like in a relationship, you can't force it. Mm-hmm. You've got to let it. It's the same with our relationship with God. It takes time. But we can help it, just as we can help our relationship. Prayer is essential. The virtuous life. Trying to, you know, create the different virtues. And what I often say to people is, what's your worst sin? Look at its corresponding virtue and build on that. Mm. That itself could take you a lifetime. Absolutely. <laughs> so that it's, we always have to, you know, I'm dealing with one young man at the moment and, you know, he, he's so anxious to get everything completely right and you've got to keep calming him down. So, you know, we have to take our time. You're like a baby learning how to walk when it comes to the spiritual life. And we would love to be able to do it and be a saint in a day, but we can't. And it's got to be at God's pace and our pace. And we've got to learn to take it one day at a time. The Italians have a lovely saying, piano, piano. Now, piano, piano is usually the first piano going up. Mm-hmm. But it just means gently, gently, piano, piano. And I often say that to people when you feel anxious, when you feel you have to do this, have to just say to yourself, piano, piano, hmm. gently, gently. Father, was there a point in your spiritual life where you just knew that you and you would receive? Because I, using my marriage and my my wife. I mean, for a long time, I liked my wife. For a time, I liked my wife. But then there was a point in our marriage when I just I just knew I loved her. And I was going to do whatever I could to protect her, to provide for her, to, you know. Was, was that the same way with you when you found peace? Yeah, you, when you're ordained first, when I was ordained first, I'm sure everything's going to change. I am going to save the world. And then you have to deal with people. 
and you get so exhausted and you say, what did I bother getting involved in this? But then you see, you say, you come to the realization that it's not my work. It's God's work. And so I love people because I know I'm loved by God. And so even though I might still get impatient with people and that, it's not the same. Because my job is to love. And a priest is married. A priest is married to the church. Mm. Now, you're lucky you've only one wife. I've got three and a half thousand here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you see, that's that's what people forget, you see. We're married to the church. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we're at Mass, it's a nuptial act, Mass. Mass is the coming together of the priest who represents Christ, the groom, coming together with the faithful, which is the bride. And the love of the groom and the bride are consummated in Christ present in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So that when husband and wife, in a way, they have mass at home in which they create new life. Hmm. And that's because the Eucharist is always life-giving. But it's always that relationship. It's always a relationship with love. And that's why when a priest goes to say mass, he can't have I don't know, um, anger at that, because that has to be gone when you're coming to Mass. So when you're going to Mass, you have to think about what you're doing, and you have to forgive the hurts from your heart, Hmm. because you're representing Christ, the groom, and Christ didn't have any anger in his heart to people. Hmm. And so it's you have to be conscious that when you're going to say Mass, or when you're going to say your divine office, that you're doing it in the place of Christ and that you must love like Christ. And that's why, you know, priest who's got anger towards parishioners, that he has to leave that behind him and love them and bring that anger into the Mass and say to the Lord, look, give me the strength to forgive and to love and to repent. They're the things we need to do because our parishioners are our spouses. And just like you have to work at your relationship, the priest has to work at his. Mm-hmm. As I say, there's that honeymoon period when you're ordained first and then reality hits. And then you can get quite depressed and quite down because you are you thought you were going to save the world. You thought you were going to change the world. Yep. And these people are changing you. <laughs> Father, as a man, how can I bring peace into my home? You have to work on yourself first. Has to be in here first. Mm-hmm. I have to have that love of God in my heart. I have to have that love and that trust in God. And a married man, but I tell the married men here at this parish is every morning you get down on your knees and you say to God the Father, I am your icon in this family. I'm your image in this family. 
give me the strength to act like you today. Because a father in a family, I know nowadays fatherhood is played down a lot. Mm-hmm. But fathers are the most important figures in their family. You represent God the Father. Whatever relationship your children have with you, they have with God. They see the fatherhood of God through you. And the sociological data is there. Hmm. In a house where the mother practices, and only the mother practices, the practice rate of the children will be about 30-40%. When the father practices, the practice rate of the children goes up to 50-60%. You are God to them. Remember for a child, you're God. The father in the house is God. And how you relate to them is how they will relate to God. I'll give you an example from my own life. I'm 56 years of age. It's only now, at this time in my life, that I can relate properly to God as Father. Because my own father was an alcoholic. And so the image I had of a father was of a drunk. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't keep their promise, who doesn't do anything like that. So how do you relate to God then, in my mind? And that's how the relationship with Jesus was so important. Because I had older brothers who looked after me. Mm-hmm. So then Jesus becomes an older brother. But it's gently through the sacred scriptures and through the prayer that now I'm at a position where I'm quite comfortable with God as Father. Mm-hmm. thing to say as a priest. But it's only now that I'm quite comfortable with God as Father. And I've been able to repair and to see that relationship in a different way. But you see... That's why fatherhood is so important. You've got to be, you've got to have it here in your heart. You've got to love him first. You've got to allow him to direct you. But you've got to turn to him again and again and again during the day. I am your icon in this home. Help me to be you in this house. It's a difficult position. Yeah, sometimes it is. It's in, you fall and you can be too hard you can be too soft it's trying to get that right balance Mm -hmm. but children the relationship with the father is key in in religion in our religious faith so how i relate to my father is how i relate to god as father how important is the blessed mother in achieving peace in in our homes again that's you know I know this is not a very politically correct thing to say, but the sexes are complementary. Complementary. Mm-hmm. We're not out to replace each other. We can't replace each other. The feminine is so important. The church is seen as mother. The Blessed Virgin Mary is important. The Blessed Virgin Mary is central to our faith. She's not an Adam. I think over the last 40 years, you know, Mary's been pushed off to the side. But look, we wouldn't be here talking today if it wasn't for the yes of that little Jewish girl 2,000 years ago. God in his wisdom came to us through a woman. 
And the safest route for us back to God is through that same womb. And that's why families praying together the rosary is so important. And the mother is so important. The two of them together complement each other. And, you know, I don't see competition between the sexes. I think what's happened, you know, I was watching a program one day, one of these survival programs. It was, I don't know whether you know him in America, Bear Grylls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we know him. Yeah. He had this program one day where there was um, women on one side of the island and men on the other. And they were sort of be like Robinson Crusoe, I suppose. But what was interesting was some of the phrases the women used. And they said, oh, you know, we don't need men. Whereas in the male camp, you never heard anything like that. Mm-hmm. You never heard the same men, men say, we don't need women. But an awful lot of the time was, we can show the men we don't need them. Mm-hmm. But in the end, all those women had to go to the men because the two camps, the men had everything organized. They had food, they had heat, they had shelter. The women all sat around and circled and they were all fighting with each other. And at the end, they needed to go to the men for the heat, for the feeding and the warmth. But it was that terrible sentences that came up a few times. We don't need men. Of course, we need each other. Mm-hmm. And I think the battle of the sexes that's going on isn't good for us because there's no battle there. We need each other. As a wing needs two birds to fly. The human race needs male and female. And we need to be together. And we need the feminine and we need the masculine, mm-hmm. and they're not interchangeable. So it is important for us to get back to those basic things, but I would love to see families back to saying the rosary mm. together mm-hmm. and creating domestic churches and creating places where people can grow and, yes, things go wrong. And that's why we have to learn to be able to forgive in family. And I think it's one of the... Now, maybe I'm biased because I come from a large family, but I think that's where the graciousness of a large family came. You, you, you were socialized very quickly. Mm-hmm. You knew you couldn't have everything. And you learned very quickly to be able to share. And if you didn't share, your big brothers would make you. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the greatest uh, peacemakers I know is is my, my good friend, Deacon Dave Imhoff. Dave, you got anything you want to ask? <laughs> Well, I, I guess I, I'd like to make a couple comments. Um, uh, you know, I, when you were starting, you were talking about reading the scriptures, and and absolutely, I'm not arguing with that. And I'm um, thinking to myself, well, um, prayer is how you get to know and then love God and then the trust and then the peace. Um, and you could say reading the scriptures is is prayer as well. Uh, later on, you got, you brought in that idea of prayer. So, um, you know, and I'm not talking about necessarily just, you know, simple vocal prayer um, and whatnot, but uh, I'm talking about developing that, you know, relationship with God over time. And that leads to prayer. Um, I thought I had a big family, seven, seven boys. You, what'd you say? 14? It's 10 of us. 
ten of us. I'm the ten of a ten. Yeah. So um, uh, I was exaggerating that a little bit. Um, I think uh, Dave and you know others uh, know that uh, this year I lost two of my brothers. Uh, I'm 65. I lost one who was a year older than me, and another a year younger than me. I mean, six years younger than me. So, um, you know, maybe again, striking a little close, because very close to home, obviously. Um, but I, I I wondered how I was reacting to the, that situation. And I'm glad we had this conversation because I, I was beginning to think I was cold or whatever. But um, it, it was peace. It's peace. I have peace. I, I have... I have a good relationship with God, I, I think. Um, and this is just evidence, um, you know, adoration for 20 years, daily prayer, which ebbs and flows with what you do. But, you know, I was peaceful with the, with, you know, that situation that, you know, I was presented with and, um, you know, so, uh, love God, trusting God, and that leads to peace. And it should, to me, that helped me now understand, you know, why I, uh, you know, was kind of feeling the way I was, uh, that I wasn't crazy. I, I'm like, I'm just, it's, I'm, I'm peaceful about it. So, yeah. Any that comments thing about, on that? That thing about prayer, you know, when I was talking about reading gospel, of course, that's feeding into your prayer. Because you, the more you know the gospel, the more you're able to bring that into your prayer. And for me, I um, I was taught years ago by the monks about Lexio, um, Divina, and it's made it easier when you've been reading your gospel for five minutes. That so that when you go to look at something, for instance, we had Maccabees all last week in the scriptures, and you you see. It helps you to understand the gospel that Jesus was in when you're reading it and you're, you're, you're under, because you don't always understand gospel, like Feast of Tabernacles and things like that. What does it mean and all that? Why were the Pharisees so obsessed with the, the rule and purification? Well, you go back to Maccabees because they wanted to de-Hellenize the Jewish faith. And so it does help us. And I think that, you know, when life comes along, I mean, I buried both my father and my mother. I gave my father the last rites myself. Mm. And when you do things like that, you see, that would have been one of the proudest moments that, you know, you're able to give him, because he, um, you're able to give him the last rites yourself. And I did the funerals myself of my, my mother. And so you, God gives you that calmness. Of course, you're suffering. Of course you are. The loss is great. But you know that with the help of God, you'll be able to do these things in a calm and trusted way. And I think, you know, the prayer is essential. And um, it was Bishop Fulton Sheen. I remember listening to him years ago. I, I listened to his tapes a lot now. Well, not tapes. I've got them on the computer. But, um, you know, that holy air is important. And, and it gives us... But just think about what happens when you go to pray. The first thing is you've got to calm down. <laughs> you've got to sit and relax and calm. 
And then you would use whatever thing it is that brings you into prayer, whether it's vocal prayer, whether it's scripture, or it's life of the same. But it's that calmness. And you know, again, the psychological evidence and the sociological evidence is that people who pray will suffer less from anxiety and depression and will volunteer more. And that they have good, um, they have better mental health than most people. So that going to church and praying individually from a, psych from a purely human point of view is very good psychologically and sociologically. So we have an awful lot to, to offer people. And people like to go into all sorts of different things, like, I don't know, yoga and things like that, to find peace. But we have it there in our own traditions. And that simple fact of just going to prayer will calm you down and bring you into peace. Uh, but a peace much better than yoga. Mm -hmm. Because it's the deep peace of Christ. And that wonderful sense that God gives us. And that's not going to go away when we finish prayer, like it will with yoga, but it will continue to stay with us. And that's the beauty of our traditions. And I think, you know, we have to find the prayer method that suits us. No good praying in a way that doesn't suit you. So, I mean, within Christianity, there are so many different ways. There's the, the meditation of the Carmelites. There's the more rational approach of the Jesuits. The, the focus of the Passion and by the Passionists. You know, there are different ways for us we can pray with beads. There's so many different type of beads out there that we can use. We can pray with scripture. We can pray with the lives of the saints. We can pray in nature. You know, I always remember that story about uh, St. Teresa of Avila. One of the nuns was telling her, you know, there's a sister here, and all she does is pray the Our Father very slowly. Mm -hmm. And Sister Teresa said, you know, well, she said, you pray as you can, not as you can't. Mm -hmm. And that's... You know, each of us has to find our own way. And what happens too is your way of prayer changes as you get older. Just as your relationship and the way you chat in marriage changes, so does our prayer. So what I used as a seminarian, using a book with points of meditations in it, I wouldn't be able to use that nowadays. That would just send me bananas. <laughs> Whereas just taking the scripture up now and just resting with it and taking a phrase and just thinking about that phrase and then during the day going back to that phrase, that to me is how I pray now. But God knows what I'll be like when I'm in 10, 15 years' time. Mm -hmm. Father, um, all you got to do is turn on the news today and you just see it's it's you don't find anything really good in, in the news. And it it sort of robs you of your peace. How, how can people avoid having their peace robbed from them? Don't watch the news. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we got that figured out. So 
what I do with the news is I take the headlines. Mm-hmm. And it's, I haven't watched a news program in years, a full news program. I take the headlines. That's it. Because, first of all, in our day, it's sensationalism that sells. Yeah. You're not getting the news. You're getting the newsreader's opinion. So the headlines is enough. I can get my own opinion from that. If I want to read more about it, I'll do that. But certainly, I think I learned years ago on retreat. So I don't look at a newspaper before lunchtime. That's one way. Secondly, when I do read, you know, I read a newspaper rather than watch the news. Um, and thirdly, I'll pray about it. So bring it into your prayer. At the moment, for instance, um, I just don't bother watching the news because with the war in the Ukraine, with the war in the Holy Land, and you know, we don't need to see those images. Mm. And they're traumatic. And I often think that, you know, do we really need to broadcast these images? It's enough to tell us there's a war. And especially watching the news with children. Do children need to see those traumatic images? I mean, you wouldn't let your your child watch um, uh, a violent movie. So why let them watch the news? You can tell them the news in a in a way that's sensible to them. You know, you, do do we need to let our children see this? I, I as I say, I wouldn't I wouldn't let my child watch Exterminator, for instance. Mm-hmm. So why let them watch the news with all these uncensored images? And then, but I think that the thing is that uh, Saint Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, would read the newspaper, but he would pray as as he was reading it, and pray for the different uh, things going on. I think we need to learn to that. But we also need to learn to. I just need that little bit of news. I don't need to watch it all the time. And I don't need to see every image. Mm -hmm. So let's be sensible. You know, I have a mobile phone. Or as you call them in the States, a cell. Mm -hmm. um, When I'm eating my dinner, this is in a different room. Mm. At nine o'clock at night, I put on to silence. I don't deal with um, anything after nine o'clock. In the old days, when you had only one telephone in your house, if somebody rang after nine o'clock at night, my mother would go, ooh, it's ringing at this hour. <laughs> you just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. There was a certain thing there that it's after nine o'clock at night. You didn't telephone people. So I do the same with the modern phone. I don't text. I don't email. I don't do anything like that after nine o'clock at night. I don't let this dictate to me. Mm-hmm. So when I'm driving, even though I have Bluetooth in my car, I don't answer the phone when I'm driving. It's distracting. Mm-hmm. That split second, you could take your eye off the road. So I don't answer. And I have very strict rules about this. And we've brought strict rules now into our schools. This, we have to learn 
that we are the masters of this. It's not the master of us. Yeah. And that, that, and I think an awful lot of our peace is taken because we spend ages looking up Mr. Google and all sorts of things. Rather than using this, which is very good, don't get me wrong, it's excellent. I have lots of apps on this that help me in preaching and in catechism and all that. But I'm the master of this. How much do it's you not. how much do you use that in preparation for forgotten treasures? Much do I use it for which? Your preparation for forgotten treasures. Um, I use it a bit because especially with the Americans. <laughs> I don't know geography in America, so I have to look up what this, where is this place? How do you pronounce this word? Funny. With the Irish, I didn't need it much, but with the, the, the new um, Irish-American ones, because my, my geography, I mean, I've only ever been to Boston, mm-hmm. York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. Anything outside of that, it's just yeah. a dot on a map. I don't understand it. So I've had to look up uh, and, you know, Milwaukee and things like that. And I said, what's it famous for? What sort of thing does yeah. it do? And Ch- all? Chattanooga. It was the one that. Uh... Yeah, that was. <laughs> it sounds like a dance. Yeah, well, it could be. Um, you know, Father, going back to the news, I'm, you may un- you may know this this particular singer, uh, uh, English singer named Chris Rhea. Yes. Going home for Christmas. Yep, that's. He also did one. I think it was on his 1989 album, "The Road to Hell." Now, uh, it's called "You Must Be Evil," and there's two ways you could say that. But he was talking about the uh, the news media, and you know, yeah. you don't have to show this stuff on TV. This is my little girl. She, you know, it's not even dinner time, and you're showing this stuff. So, you know, I, I I'm like you. I I, I think that the uh, the news media is sensationalism at its best and it's it's really causing a lot of problems as far as uh, taking especially nowadays with, with 24 hours mm-hmm. i mean they have to get in there before the other yeah really what like mistakes have been made in the past you know um uh, and they've had to backtrack you know it's better the old way just to have your news bulletin mm-hmm maybe two or three times a day that's it because you know but we really don't need to see half the images we see yeah and and especially in america i don't know in ireland we have what they call the watershed anything before 9 p.m must be fit for family viewing mm-hmm. so there's no bad language no things like that after nine o'clock, anything goes because it, it's now considered that the kids are in bed mm-hmm. and it's adult. But um, in Europe, they don't have that. Hmm. The continent. And um, if you think that American television is risky, you should watch European television. Really? Yeah. Continental. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Monty Python was pretty risque in, back in, the, in its day. Its day, but it was always on after nine o'clock. Really, it was shown during yeah yeah. It's always things like Dallas when I was growing up. Dallas and Dynasty were shown after nine o'clock. They weren't suitable as family viewing. Hmm. They would all be after nine o'clock. 
I think that's about the time that that stuff was on here in the States. Deacon Dave, we are getting ready to wrap this up. Do you have any questions for uh, Father Burke? Uh, this has uh, been another joy, uh, Father, being with you. And um, I, I guess I I miss you uh, with, uh, I know that you and Dave are spending a lot of time working on other projects. So uh, I've, I've enjoyed this time. We've had um, great insights on peace. And uh, I thank you for, for, you know, all you do. Thank you. We're coming up to peaceful Christmas. So got to pray, got to read your scripture, and you got to show that peace. Amen. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Okay. May Almighty God come down upon you. May he give you that peace which is beyond all understanding. May you reflect the peace of God in your lives and with those around you. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So for my good friends, Father Gabriel Burke, my producer, Deacon David Imhoff, I'm down the hall, Dave, always praying that your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. We'll see you next time. Thank you.